0: Another thing we like to do each Sunday is we like to pray, and we pray very specific things. Every week we like to pray for another church in the city of Cheyenne. This morning we're going to be praying for Cheyenne Hills Church. Uh, We like to pray for one of our missionaries. Uh, In this case, we're going to be praying for uh, Action Ministries, a ministry that we have in our church uh, that does some missions work uh, led by Gabe Pock. And then we like to pray for one of the ministries in our church, and uh, one of those ministries this week is going to be the food pantry ministry. So uh, join with me as we pray uh, for these three things, and then we'll also pray for the teaching of the word today. Heavenly Father, so thankful for a chance to be gathered together in this different, uh, even some would say strange way. Uh, But Lord, there's a camaraderie that we have in the body of Christ to know that We're all in the same place. We're all trying to figure these things out. And all over the world, there are churches trying to discover the best way to minister given our circumstances. Lord, this morning I pray for Cheyenne Hills Church. I pray for Pastor Galen and the ministry that he has there. Lord, I thank you for his long tenure as the senior pastor. I know that he was also there when the church planted as well. And Lord, I would pray for him that you would give him great wisdom in leading that church uh, for the leaders that you've surrounded him with, uh, that they would have good unity. Uh, Father, I pray uh, that they would continue to have an impact uh, across the street and around the world, as their slogan says. Lord, I thank you for the work that they've done in the city of Cheyenne. I thank you for the work that they've done uh, outside of this city through missions. And I pray that people would be growing in their faith there and that they would be coming to know your son, Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord. Father, I also pray uh, for uh, the ministries that we have in our church, specifically those that we send out. I thank you for the action team and the uh, very simple ministry of of dramatically uh, performing to prepare the gospel and to send the gospel out. I just think it's a, a very simple but powerful idea. Uh, but then behind all of that, the hours of uh, discipleship that goes into the kids. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the leaders of that group. I thank you for... Uh, Gabe Pock and for his wife Alyssa. I thank you for the teenagers that are helping lead in that group as well, for uh, my son Caleb and for Rebecca Shaw and for uh, Julia. Um, and uh, pray, Lord, that you would continue to raise up new leaders, uh, that those kids who are being discipled now uh, will be student leaders in the future and maybe someday will be leading ministries in our church or outside of our church, uh, impacting the rest of the world. Oh, Father, we thank you for our food pantry, uh, the, the, the number of people we've been able to impact through that ministry over the years. is such a powerful ministry that we have, and I would pray uh, that you would continue to allow that to occur. And we're thankful that we're able to feed people in the midst of this crisis. I thank you for Lori Pock and the work that she's done over the years in uh, making sure there's food in there, making sure it's organized and available. I thank you for the uh, the people that volunteer and the staff here that actually hand out the food and all the work that they do. Lord, that they would be able to continue that work as well. And now, Lord, I I turn my attention to our ministry this morning. Lord, as we go into Revelation chapter 12, uh, there's a a lot of things in there to be understood. Uh, Lord, help us to get the main things. Uh, Don't let us get caught up on all the little details. Not everything is always clear in scripture, uh, but the things that are clear, make them clear to us and help us see through them a better picture of who you are and who we're supposed to be because we follow you. So, Lord, would you allow your Holy Spirit to be our speaker today, that your spirit would speak clearly uh, through your word and speak clearly through me, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bible, open it to Revelation chapter 12, uh, or if your iPhone app or your iPad app or whatever it is you happen to have. Uh, But Revelation chapter 12, we've been working our way through this book now uh, for Uh, 12 weeks plus a couple extra weeks in there for Easter. And um, every week uh, I am kind of surprised as I go through it. I've been through this book before. I've taught verse by verse through this book before. Uh, But every week there's something in there that I find that I had forgotten uh, or that I'm surprised by. And this is uh, no different in this week. Uh, One of the things I think is interesting as you go through the book of Revelation and you kind of read some other studies and listen to what other people say Uh, It seems like every single chapter, there's at least one commentator that says, this is the chapter that's the hardest to understand in the entire Bible. And so we're seeing that week after week in the book of Revelation. Uh, Chapter 12, I would say, is a contender. (laughs) Uh, But I've also read ahead to chapter 13, definitely a contender. Uh, 14, 15, 16, 17, all of those very difficult as well. Uh, So let's try to make a little bit of sense of this. Uh, Let's remember where we are on the timeline the timeline for this book, uh, starting with chapter four, the church has been raptured up into heaven. And then we're seeing now the wrath of God being poured out on the earth. So specifically in chapter six, you see these seals being broken in heaven on on a document, on a scroll. And as each one of the seals on that scroll is broken, uh, a new event occurs either on earth or in heaven. Uh, but there's some sort of, of horrific thing that seems to happen. After the sixth seal is broken, there's a pause and then the seventh seal is broken, which then introduces the seven trumpets. And so the same thing happens with the trumpet. Something bad, something bad, something bad. Six trumpets and then there's a pause again. A couple of chapters that describe some events in heaven. They describe some other things that happen. And then the seventh trumpet is blown, which we saw last week in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. And that introduced the kingdom of the world becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and his reign forever. And so that introduced that. It ended in verse 19, explaining that in heaven now, the temple has been opened. The Ark of the Covenant has been made visible in that temple. And so you have kind of this, this new sheriff in town where God now is fully uh, taking control of planet earth. The first thing though, he has to do, he has to Uh, rid earth of the vermin. And by vermin, I mean Satan. And we're going to see kind of the beginning of that. And it's going to cause all kinds of more chaos to fall. The timeline fits a little bit like this from the rapture of the church until chapter 11, verse 15. It appears that that's about three and a half years. But then from uh, the rapture of the church, chapter 11, verse, I'm sorry, from the Uh, seventh trumpet, chapter 11, verse 15, until the end of the tribulation, another three and a half years. uh, And then uh, Christ will uh, take charge uh, in a powerful way. We'll see a thousand year reign of Christ. We'll see one last battle. And then we enter into eternity in heaven. So uh, what's going to happen now after the blowing of that seventh trumpet, We're going to see in chapter 12, a couple of signs in heaven. So I'm going to just break this chapter up for you. The first four verses are going to introduce these two signs in heaven, each sign representing a person. And it's the first couple of signs of what will be about seven different characters introduced going forward over the next handful of chapters. Then as those signs in heaven are displayed, verses five and six are going to display us some events that are gonna happen on earth in response to those signs, uh, or that those signs might be representing the things that are actually happening on earth. Then in verse seven through 12, we go right back up into heaven. There's gonna be a war in heaven which will be followed then by events on earth, which will be uh, the wrath of Satan on earth. So uh, let's get into the reading of the passage here. uh, And I'm just going to take us through those first four verses as we do this. Uh, When I read these four verses, uh, I have some instructions uh, for you at home and for those that are here on the stage. Uh, What I'm going to say that as you're hearing me read this, I need you to look for two things. I want you to find the three characters that are introduced here. And I also want you to decide where they are placed just from the reading of the passage. So let's find out who these three characters are and where these events are taking place. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child... And she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great dragon having seven heads and ten horns. And on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour the child. So here's the vision. A woman with a child, she's pregnant with child, and a dragon in heaven, and the dragon is waiting for her to give birth so that he can devour the child. Now, I gave away the answers, so if you were listening, you probably got the answers uh, to all of my questions, but just real quick, uh, Doug's going to review for us who the three characters are, and then Sheila will tell us where they're located. You have the woman, the child, and the great red dragon. And who are they? Just kidding. You don't have to answer that. This <laughs> We'll take care of that as we go through this. Okay. And Sheila, where is all of this taking place? It's taking place in heaven. It seems to be taking place in heaven. Again, I've, I've helped you along with those things a little bit, but it, I think it's important for us to get this, this whole picture, this vision that John is having, these signs in heaven. So what we want to do as we kind of look at the scene, a woman who's about to give birth to a child and a dragon that wants to devour this child when it's born, we want to see if it's possible to identify who these characters are. So uh, when we look at the woman, there are a few identifying characteristics about her. Uh, Here's some things we know about her. Number one, she is clothed with the sun. Number two, she has the moon under her feet, And number three, she's wearing a crown with 12 stars. And then, of course, she's pregnant and in labor at this point. So we look at these kind of different pictures of her. Uh, These were placed there intentionally by God so that we had at least a hint of who this woman might be representing in heaven. Uh, I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm not going to go into great detail. But if you look through the scripture and try to find scenes in the Bible that have the sun the moon, and the stars, it's going to direct you to one specific prophetic passage, and that's in the book of Genesis chapter 37, and I will see if Sandy will read that to us. Sandy, could you read Genesis chapter 37 verses 9 and 10? Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me, When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? All right. So this dream, and you might remember the context of this, but Joseph has 11 brothers uh, and his mom and his dad. um, And uh, Joseph keeps getting favorable attention from his dad. His dad likes him best. Uh, and and then in addition to that, he then has these dreams that he's foolish enough to share with his family. And so he has one dream where basically all of his brothers are bowing down to him. They're symbolically represented by uh, these sheafs of wheat. Uh, but then right after that, he tells them that, and Dad doesn't seem to bother too much with that dream. But then he tells them he has a second dream, and in this case, he has a dream that the sun, the moon. And the 11 of the 12 stars, he's the 12th son, so the 11 brothers are all bowing down to him. Now, dad has a problem with this one. He says, wait a second, mom and I are going to bow down to you as well. And so he was fine with his brothers bowing down to him, but mom and and dad, maybe they shouldn't be bowing down to him. Uh, But the picture is exactly the same. The description is of, of the mom and dad, the sun and the moon, which we see here, and then 12 stars, which we see around her head, this family becomes the 12 tribes of Israel. So it seems like this vision is intended to give us a picture of Israel in heaven. So this is just a picture in heaven. It's a sign. This isn't actually Israel in heaven. It's just a sign in heaven. It's like in heaven, uh, they're watching TV or something. They're watching some sort of prophetic TV show in heaven and they see this woman representing Israel and she is with child. And we'll talk about that child here in a minute. Uh, The next one then is this dragon. uh, And we're not going to answer who the dragon is just yet because this passage will actually answer that for us uh, when we look at that section from 7 to 12 there. Uh, but I will just say, when they when they describe the dragon and his appearance, he's a great red dragon. He has seven heads. He has ten horns. This may sound familiar to you if you've been through a study of the book of Daniel. You'll see that same picture in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, but we're going to see again a similar picture in, in Revelation 13. We'll see yet again, a similar picture in Revelation 17, Uh, maybe not the exact same dragon. That's something that we're going to want to look at when we get to those places. Uh, But just this similar idea, this dragon, this beast being described here. And this guy is a creepy critter because he has seven heads and 10 horns on his heads. And then each of those heads have seven diadems or seven crowns. And then he's going to take his tail and he's going to sweep it across the stars and a third of the stars are going to fall. Uh, just just to, uh, real briefly, we don't have time to get into all of this right now, uh, but that connects, I believe, to something that happened uh, in creation past way back a long time ago, when uh, Satan originally fell and he brought one third of the angels with him, that those are the demonic spirits that we would see now today. You can look into that if you'd like in Isaiah chapter 14, Luke chapter 10 kind of talks about that as well. Uh, But the key here is what this dragon wants to do. It's his whole purpose, according to this, uh, is that he wants to devour this child. That's his whole purpose. He, He wants to devour him. That's who he is. He wants to devour this child. Now, uh, let's find out who the child is in verses five and six. And so it says, and she, that's Israel in this case, gave birth to a son, a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 100 or for 1260 days so before we spend any time on deciding who this is when you read through that is there somebody that just comes to mind that this might be anybody have any any guesses who this just might be who just pops into your mind when you read about this jesus jesus yeah it's actually uh pretty easy to just kind of get this idea as you read it, but there are better ways than just, hey, that kind of feels like Jesus to me. Uh, there's actually better ways to kind of discover who this is. Uh, though, so Israel gives birth, though, to a male son who's going to rule the nations and will eventually be caught up to God. Like this is just basically the story of Jesus, right? This is who uh, who he is. Uh, but the easiest way for us to interpret that is to jump forward to Revelation chapter 19 where it actually tells us who is the person who is doing this. And so, uh, and you can uh, read more about this if you want. Uh, But in my Bible, this is titled The Coming of Christ. And this is that final moment where Jesus arrives on the white horse. And in verse 15, it tells us that he will rule them with a rod of iron. So it's an easy connection for us. You can also connect it uh, to the Psalms. The second Psalm uh, has the same imagery there in verses seven through nine, uh, prophetic uh, messianic Psalm that points forward. Um, and then an interesting connection that you'll see in Revelation chapter two in the letters to the churches. Uh, Jesus tells that church there in Revelation chapter two, and this will be in verses 26 and 27. He says that because authority is given to me, I'm gonna rule them with a iron Uh, scepter. I'm going to rule them, rule them. uh, How does it say this here? Uh, Rule them uh, with a rod of iron. And then he tells those who overcome, which I believe is a representation of believers in Jesus Christ, that they're going to rule with him in that. So it's kind of a cool connection and all those things. Uh, But I think this is clearly pointing to Jesus Christ. And this is Satan's desire to destroy Jesus. Now, what we have happening here is interesting. Events or signs are happening in heaven, but they have an actual event happening on earth. What's happening in heaven, I think, is the broad picture. The the broad picture has always been uh, that Satan is hoping to destroy the work, the plan of God, the gift of salvation that's accomplished through Jesus Christ. It's always been his purpose. It's always been his intent. Um, So we're seeing now one way that that was or that he attempts to accomplish that, here in the book of Revelation, and so it's this idea that he wanted to devour the child, and so you see how that plays out here. So when we get to verses five and six, that woman is actually represented by a woman on earth, a woman by the name of, of Mary, it seems, uh, because she's the one that actually gave birth to Jesus. And we know that Satan has been trying to thwart the plan of God. We remember this picture, if you recall this, when Jesus was born, there was a king who decided that he wanted to kill all the babies in hopes of destroying this future king, Jesus. And so really that was demonically inspired. That was Satan's inspiration to try to make that happen. Well, how did God prevent that? Well, Mary and Joseph went away to the wilderness. They went away to Egypt and they stayed there. And so they avoid uh, avoided this opportunity for Satan to put them to death. So that's the idea when you look at that historically. But this is just the broader picture really of what Satan has always decided to do. He wants to be like God. He wants to uh, exceed beyond where God was. Uh, and in order to do that, he has to try to to, uh, destroy the plans of God. Now, we see the time frame here is interesting because it matches the time frame we've seen in other places. In verse 6, it says it's 1,260 days. Well, that exact same time frame is what we saw in chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, describing those first three and a half years of the tribulation. So, What I believe happens in prophecy, what I believe happens in history, and what I believe happens in the book of Revelation uh, is there's a lot of layers to these things. So if you ever saw the movie Shrek, right? It's like an onion. You know, ogres are like onions. They have layers. Well, prophecy is like an onion. It has layers. And so you see a lot of events in history that look kind of exactly the same. And those things get repeated throughout history, those same things over and over again. It's the same battles being fought over and over again, but they ultimately are pointing forward to the ultimate things that are happening at the end of time. So you see prophetically in Daniel, you see prophetically in the life of Jesus, you see prophetically here in the book of Revelation, these same pictures being layered, each one of them pointing us forward to the greater battle that's happening. And so ultimately what I believe here is going to happen is that for a period of uh, three and a half years or 1,260 days, there will be a portion of the nation of Israel, a group of people from the nation of Israel that will be protected in the midst of this. And we'll see that same concept come back up again in verse 14, which we'll get to here uh, in a little bit. But We now want to look at verse 7. We want to move beyond the signs in heaven and the events on earth. We now want to move on to this picture of a war in heaven. So verse 7 says this, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell on the earth, I'm sorry, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. So this describes this epic battle in heaven uh, between Satan and between Michael the angel, the archangel here. And so uh, we know that this battle is with Satan because verse nine tells us specifically who the dragon is. Verse nine, the great dragon, who was described in verse three, behold, a great dragon. In verse nine, it says the great dragon was thrown down. That means he lost the battle. And then it describes the dragon as the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world and has thrown was thrown down to earth, he and his angels with him. And so it's this description of this dragon. It tells us that that dragon in that first vision is the devil, it's Satan. He happens to be the deceiver of the world. Now he's going to mount this war in heaven. I believe this war in heaven is not an event that's already happened. This isn't describing the initial rebellion of Satan. This is a future event that I believe happens around that three and a half year mark of the seven year tribulation. But around that three and a half year mark, Satan is going to storm heaven with one third of the angels that fell with him in history past, and eternity past, before creation, before what we would call creation, uh, that he's going to storm heaven in a a kind of a a last futile attempt to stop the plan of God. But Michael the angel, who we see in the book of Daniel, who we see in the book of Job, who disputed for the body of Moses, Michael the angel and two thirds of the other angels are going to defeat him. So here's a question uh, to see if we can answer this question. What weapons did they use to defeat Satan? Anybody have any ideas? What weapons? And it's a trick question because the passage doesn't say the word weapon in it anywhere. But what it does tell us is how he was actually defeated. And if it helps, I'll give you a hint. Look at verse 11. Any takers? What weapons allowed him to be overcome? The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Perfect answer, right? So what we don't want to do uh, is get in the thought process that, wow, Michael overcame Satan. Michael didn't overcome Satan. Michael, the archangel, uh, the angel that's listed out here, didn't overcome Satan because he was somehow more powerful than Satan. He overcame Satan because he had on his side the blood of Jesus Christ, And the testimony of believers. Think about that for just a second. The blood of Jesus Christ, that sounds powerful, right? Like we understand the blood of Jesus Christ, that's powerful. But I don't think we understand how powerful the testimony of believers is. I'm going to reread this section here. Now the salvation, I'm I'm in the middle of verse 10. uh, This loud voice in heaven, we don't know who it is. It's just some sort of angelic being potentially. But it says the the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them, so who's the them? Well, that's the brethren before, the, before our God day and night and they, so if them pointed to the brethren, then they, the brethren, overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And what's their testimony? Their testimony. They didn't love their life even when faced with death. I want you to see it this way. When we choose Jesus Christ over ourselves, it's a powerful weapon against Satan. So the blood of the lamb and the testimony of us, the witnesses, overcomes Satan in the end. The work being done on the cross by Jesus demonstrated in our life by our faithful witness. That's the tools, that's the weapons that God's going to use to overthrow Satan. So, uh, what's alluded to here is something that we have to keep in mind, uh, something that we may have forgotten. Satan has access to heaven. Now, we see it here. It says that he uh, accuses them before our God day and night. He's called the accuser of the brethren. This is one of the things that we have to remember. Satan is in heaven accusing us in front of God. But God, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, hears none of those accusations. He checks them out to see if he's true, And Satan can say, you know, I know that uh, Doug did this. And he can say specifically what he knows Doug did. It can even be the truth. It's a long list. It's a long list. But from God's perspective, knowing that it's already paid for, he says to Satan, none of that's there. It's all been removed. It's all been paid for. It's the the power of the gospel in overcoming Satan here. Uh, Understand that from the beginning of time, though, even when Satan attacks, he's still subordinate to Jesus. He has to ask permission. Uh, We see this in the book of Job, chapter one. I think we forget about this sometimes. Uh, But Satan comes to God and basically says, hey, the only reason Job is being such a good follower as you is because you've blessed him so many times. And he basically has to get God's permission to go after Job. It's just a powerful reminder of how in control of everything God really is. Uh, a question uh, that maybe we would want to consider in this is, uh, when, you, when you think about the outcome of this war in heaven, what part of it is comforting? What part of it's not comforting? Uh, I think we are quick sometimes um, to look at things uh, in, in a perspective that makes us feel good. And I think that's great. We want to feel good. And I I try very hard to point out the the good news, the joy that we find in the book of Revelation. Uh, But I think there's some discomfort here as well. We have to somehow get comfortable with the idea that God is allowing Satan to do satanic things here on earth. He's allowing it in his own sovereignty for his own purposes. Now we could get into a greater discussion of that. And uh, certainly that's something that we could do, although I don't know that it's the most valuable thing. Uh, I would just say this, as God allows those things, just remember that those things have limits on them. Satan is not all powerful. He can't do everything. He can only do those things that he's allowed to do, that there are limits that God puts on it. And so here we have now, Uh, These two weapons, the the blood of the lamb, uh, the witness of the testimony of the brethren, overthrowing Satan. Uh, Here's another uncomforting concept. Verse 12, Satan no longer gets to go to heaven. He's been thrown out. There's no longer a place for him or his demonic servants, right? The demonic angels that have followed him. Unfortunately, that's great news for heaven, but unfortunately, that's bad news for earth. It says here, and I believe this is the third woe that we've been tracking. Uh, You may recall uh, that there were these three woes in Revelation chapter 8. Woe, woe, woe. Woe number one was the fifth trumpet. Woe number two was the sixth trumpet. And here, woe number three, the seventh trumpet. That is that now woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you having great wrath knowing that he has only a short time. Uncomfortable, the devil's wrath. So whatever we're seeing right now on planet earth with what Satan is doing right now, it's nothing compared to the wrath he's going to unleash at the end. The comfort though, even that is just for a short time. And I believe that short time is three and a half years. And he'll go crazy. It describes why here. He does this, his wrath on earth after being thrown out of heaven, verses 13 through 17. It says, when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place, where she was nourished for a time and times and a half time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. So, Satan's not happy. Uh, It says in verse 13, when he saw that he was cast out of heaven, he was angry and he wanted to persecute the woman. Well, we believe the woman represents Israel. And so you'll see that the wrath of Satan is first turned against Israel. However, we're told that this woman is going to be carried away uh, uh, on the two wings of the great eagle to a place that was prepared for her in the wilderness so that she could be nourished. And it gives us a time frame for time, times, and a half time, which I would say is time would be one year, times would be two years. Now we're up to three years and a half a time, three and a half years. We're seeing that same picture. So for three and a half years, a remnant, a portion of the nation of Israel is going to be protected during this time when Satan goes after them. So Satan has this plan, verse 15, it describes that he's going to pour water like a river out of his mouth. Uh, I have no idea if that's an actual flood or a metaphorical flood, uh, what it is. Uh, But in the end, it's not going to work because as we've seen over and over again in scripture, Satan keeps losing. He is not just the accuser of the brethren, he's the loser of everything. That's what happens here. So then when he realizes he can't get after the woman, he wasn't able to kill her child. Now he goes after the rest of her children. Now that should cause you to pause for just a minute. Wait, she was just pregnant with one child. Now she has the rest of her children. Well, thankfully it describes to us who the rest of the children are. The dragon in verse 17 was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So the rest of her children would be those who keep the commandments of God and those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. So this is representing, I believe, either Jewish believers or any believer during the final part of the tribulation. Remember what's happened all throughout this book. Even after the church was raptured up into heaven, opportunity for salvation came time and time again. And over and over and over, God has given opportunity for people to be saved. And we saw uh, earlier in the book, we saw, I think it was in chapter five, uh, where we saw 144,000 from the nation of Israel, they were saved. We also saw after that a multitude of people that would be saved. And most people believe that they're going to be saved actually by the testimony of the 144,000, that the 144,000 are going to become great witnesses to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And then back in chapter 11, we saw more people coming to Christ, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ from the ministry of the two witnesses. Not that they believed their testimony, but they believed after they died and were resurrected And an earthquake, killed a 10th of the people, or, or destroyed a 10th of the city of Jerusalem and killed 7,000 people. Suddenly it says back in Revelation eleven thirteen, 13, the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. So all throughout this tribulation period, there's going to be more and more people coming to, to Jesus Christ. And as weird as this sounds, this seven-year period might be the most successful evangelistic period in the history of the world. Uh, It seems to me that there's going to be more people to come Christ in that seven-year period, because we're talking about 144,000 of the nation of Israel, plus multitude of believers. And then on multiple occasions, it describes even more people coming to salvation. You're just going to see person after person after person getting saved. And all of this is driving Satan crazy. He's already lost the big battle. God's already won. Satan was defeated at the cross. Uh, All that's happened is, uh, it's essentially like he's being put off uh, on parole to his final day of destruction. Uh, There's just this time period before that happens. And so he's already angry and he's been out there accusing the brethren. He's looking to steal, kill and destroy. Uh, He's the one that's prowling about like a lion. He's already angry. And then as things get to the very end, he's getting to the end of his life. He gets angrier and angrier and angrier. And he keeps trying to stop the plan of God. And at every instance, he fails. Look, I don't say this to be flippant. Satan is more powerful than I am. I just say it because I think it's true. And I think it's important for us to remember this. He may be more powerful than we are, But Satan is a loser. He loses in the end and it is ticking him off. And so he is lashing out like a a petulant child who doesn't get their way. He's lashing out in anger and in rage and it's building and it's building and it's building in him. And the angrier he gets and the more he rages, it seems that more people come to Christ Every time for him, it's like salt on an old wound, a centuries-old wound. And so here we have him now raging at whoever's left. He can't get to the male child, Jesus. He can't get to Israel. And now he's just raging at any. Believer, anybody. Now, one picture that you might want to keep in mind, one interesting way to look at this, when you see how this connects at the end, Israel is described by the woman at the beginning, and she has the 12 stars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. But Israel at the end is described as having other children. Also representing the other children in the New Testament believers would be the 12 apostles. And so it's, it's quite possible the image that's being drawn here and by discussing the other children uh, is just a reminder for us that yes, God has a plan for the nation of Israel and that plan will bring us all the way to the end. But God also has this great plan to bring in the Gentiles into his great plan of salvation. It's a mystery according to the book of Ephesians. Uh, the mystery is that God took the two, Israel and the Gentiles, and he's making them into one. And so we have this picture where Satan's just raging at all of these things. But if there's, there's one bit of hope, there's one little piece that I can give you today, that's this. In the end, Satan loses. Everything that you see in the meantime It's a spoiled brat who didn't get his way. It's an athlete who who lost, and he just can't get over himself. And he's just furious. And so we might have to suffer for a time the wrath or the anger of Satan. But it's all temporary, because God's plan is to restore us in the end. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. If we've seen all throughout the book of Revelation, people are coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, today could be a day for you to be saved. If I could put it in simplest terms, why would you want to be on the loser's team? Let's just put it that way. You have two teams represented here. You have the God of the universe who we already know has won. And you have Satan who's losing. And ultimately, we will be the loser. I want to be on the winning team. We're told that the way that we become on the winning team is through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, If we simply confess Jesus Christ as our Lord, which means he's the boss, we will be saved. Uh, If you want to know more about knowing Jesus Christ as Savior, you can just go to our website, cheyenne.church. And across the top there, you can click on Know Jesus. There's a better explanation there, but there's also a way that you can uh, connect with us and let us know that you've made that commitment to believe in Jesus Christ today. Uh, But let's, for those of us who are believers, let's celebrate by prayer and by praise. So I'm gonna close this in prayer and then Doug's gonna lead us in a final chorus. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you have had enough grace and mercy to allow us to be on your team. Father, you picked us, you chose us, and we're thankful for that. Lord, I'm so thankful as well uh, that we have these constant reminders in your word, even in the midst of, of difficult prophecies and wars in heaven, the wrath of Satan on earth, we just constantly have these reminders Oh, that you love us, that you care for us. Father, we thank you for that gift of love. And I pray that your spirit is encouraging each one of us believers today to stand strong in that hope. We thank you, we love you, in Jesus' name. Amen.